1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So the recipients of this letter live in these various regions which correspond to modern-day Turkey. Peter writes with the authority of one of the Lord's apostles, one of the Lord's close companions during his earthly ministry, one who had also conversed with him after his resurrection. Now, as an apostle, Peter has received direct and infallible revelation from God. He therefore has uh, authority to write. And what he writes is the word of God. He addresses strangers scattered throughout these various regions. Uh, And the word strangers could also be rendered sojourners. Uh, It refers to Jews residing in lands beyond Israel who have become believers in Christ. And the word scattered is literally of the dispersion, referring to Jews historically dispersed uh, from the promised land uh, since the time of the Babylonian captivity. It was to such Jews that Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost. And these places listed here are some of the regions that they came from. Now, there would also have been believing Gentiles (coughs) among those to whom Peter wrote. Now, Peter says uh, in verse 2 here, as he writes to these scattered strangers, uh, that they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the original language, the word elect uh, actually qualifies the word strangers. And so Peter is writing to elect strangers. Um, There are many Jews who are strangers in these countries beyond Israel. Uh, But Peter is addressing those of them who are elect. Those with the special status of having been chosen to salvation through their faith in Christ. So the word elect is actually a synonym for saved. It refers to those whom God has chosen to bring into his kingdom. It refers to the special status with which God endows all who are in Christ. So no one can be elect out of Christ. Because they are in Christ through repentance and faith, 
they are chosen or appointed to salvation. So the word elected means appointed. These are the ones who will be the beneficiaries of salvation. That is what God has decreed. Now the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 22 and verse 14, Many are called, but few are chosen. As the gospel is preached, men are called upon to believe in Christ. Few, however, respond to the call, and so are not chosen to the special status of sons of God. Now, in dealing with this whole issue of election to salvation, we are not interested uh, in defending any one particular theological party. All we are interested in is what do the scriptures say? Many are called, but few are chosen, said the Lord Jesus Christ. So not all men are elected, because God only saves those few who meet his precise conditions, namely repentance from sin and faith in Christ. And we should not be concerned about the use of the word condition. Because God's word says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a condition. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 3.18, he that believeth on the Son is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So here we plainly see that election to salvation has preconditions. Now God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he has resolved to save men with no initiative from them. No one would be saved except for God's sovereign initiative. Yet, in his sovereignty, God has also invested men with responsibility. And with most theological issues, we need balance. And there's always a temptation to go to one extreme or the other. And we have to balance divine sovereignty with human responsibility. And God has made us in such a way that we are responsible human beings with minds and wills and hearts. That is how he has made us. That is the glory of being made in God's image. We are not mindless automatons. So God works through us exercising our responsibility as he takes the initiative. 
God has laid down by an eternal decree the terms upon which men shall be saved. And then in his grace, he even gives men the ability to meet those terms. So that as they meet them, the resulting salvation is to the glory of God's grace. So, when someone becomes a Christian, even though we assert human responsibility, because the Bible teaches it, even though we believe that men are responsible, when someone becomes a Christian, they don't pat themselves on the back and say, oh, what a wonderful decision I made. They give all the glory to God because he took the initiative, drew them and called them and enabled them to believe. But it is a fact that many choose not to come to Christ in this world. Why is that? Is it because God did not call them? We are told many are called. We are told in the word, God is not willing that any should perish. But we are also told that few are chosen. And the reason that there are only few chosen is because men do not exercise their responsibility to respond to God's initiative of grace. Peter lays down the conditions of repentance and faith for entering into salvation in his sermon on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were converted. Acts 2, verse 38. Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So God requires that the sinner repents and testifies to his faith by seeking baptism. The Apostle Paul likewise lays down terms upon which a man becomes elected unto salvation, which we've already quoted, Romans 10 verse 9. Romans 10 verse 9. If, that is a condition, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So election to salvation requires that a man confesses Christ as the Son of God and as the unique Saviour from sin. And also that he believes that Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection constitutes the completion of our Lord's work of redemption. His perfect sinless life as a representative man and then his sacrificial death on the sinner's behalf. Now God has ordained in eternity that certain ones shall be elected to salvation. But on what basis is the election? It is on the basis of men complying 
with his terms. Public confession of Christ and believing in his work as demonstrated in his death and resurrection. Now in the next chapter here, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Peter tells the believers, ye are a chosen generation. And that could also be translated as an elect race. Just as Israel in Old Testament times was a race apart from the rest of men, a chosen people in special relationship to God. So in New Testament times, believers in Christ are the true Israel and a race apart. They are the only ones who are God's people. This applies both to Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ. Faith in the Son of God makes men true sons of Abraham. And Peter also says in in that chapter 2 and verse 9, Ye are a peculiar people, a people for God's own possession, a people uniquely belonging to God. We might say of someone, all those characteristics are peculiar to him, specially belonging to him. We are, as Christians, a peculiar people. We belong to God while the rest of men do not. The rest are, in fact, in allegiance with Satan. So this is the believer's great privilege. He is one of God's own, one of God's elect. He belongs to the kingdom of God. And we are told by Peter in this second verse of chapter 1, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Believers in Christ receive their special status of being elected to salvation on the grounds of God's foreknowledge. Now, again, we have to take great care here. The word foreknowledge is a term accommodated to our human understanding. You see, human beings deliberate, take advice, plan, weigh issues before acting. God, of course, does not have to work like that because He knows all things. He he knows the beginning from the end. He's not bound by time. He has infinite, perfect, eternal knowledge. And so, strictly speaking, we, we, we should not refer to the foreknowledge of God at all. Because God just has perfect knowledge. And time does not in any way bind God in his knowledge. God's purposes are what he has always known. And so his purposes can never be before or after anything in time. You see, he always knows what he will do. So the prefix for in foreknowledge is a word that is used 
in order to accommodate our human perspective. The word for knowledge relates to the time of our conversion. Before we ever came to faith, God had resolved to call us to himself. He took the initiative. We do not believe in free will. We believe in human responsibility, but not free will. We can only will to come to Christ if the Holy Spirit enables us to do so and if the Holy Spirit calls us. Otherwise, we would just be left in our sins. God took the initiative. In his eternal mind, he purposed to choose out from the world a covenant community, a people for his own possession. But he has also ordained the means by which he would do this. And that means is the preaching of the gospel. And so it's not a decree in eternity, that person is going to be saved, whatever. No, it's through the preaching of the gospel that men are saved. So the term for knowledge simply means the mind of God outside of time resolving to have a people in fellowship with himself. From our point of view, God called us before, obviously, we were converted. Long before we ever approached him, he resolved to appoint or elect to eternal life those who hear the gospel, turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And so we need to get away from signing up to theological camps and we just need to believe what the Bible says. So we believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe in the purposes of God in eternity, but we also believe in human responsibility in time. And we have to get the balance between the two and it's not one or the other, it's both. Now, the word foreknowledge, some have sometimes argued this, has no reference to God foreseeing that men would believe, although God does have that knowledge. Nor does the word foreknowledge refer to God's choosing of specific individuals to salvation. And that means he's deliberately passing by and consigning to hell all the others. Now, God could do that if he wished. He is sovereign. He can do with his creatures whatever he desires to do. But the very apostle here, who is saying that we are elected according to the foreknowledge of God, also says in his second epistle, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the word for knowledge simply means God's purpose and decree outside of time to save sinners. 
And without this purpose and decree, no man could ever be saved. Titus 2, verse 11. Paul writing to Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, does all men mean a minority who are elect, or does it mean all men? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godless in this and godly in this present world. So the status of being elect according to God's foreknowledge does not imply the choosing of some to salvation rather than others, a choice being made in eternity. Because Paul is telling us there in Titus 2, verse 11, that all men are the objects of God's grace. This grace, however, requires the response of repentance, denying ungodliness. And it also requires faith. These are the conditions of coming to salvation, repentance and faith. We must live godly in this present world. And so no one can come to faith in Christ and be saved. No no one can be brought into the kingdom of God unless they have repented of sin and believed in Christ. Now, it would not be possible for anyone to repent of sin and believe in Christ, except for the grace which takes the initiative and draws him and gives the man the ability to believe. So we give all the credit to God for our salvation, although we assert human responsibility. John 6, verse 44. Our Lord said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So the Father's eternal and present purpose to draw the unbeliever is what is meant here in 1 Peter 1, 2 by foreknowledge. God has this prior purpose to save, and so he draws. We give him all the glory for our salvation. The Christian owes his special status to God's initiative of grace. And so we see that that there are precious truths in the different theological camps. Instead of warring, let's Rejoice in each other's truths, as long as it's based on Scripture. Now, we're also told here in this second verse that we are elect through sanctification of the Spirit. Here we are told the means by which the elect, those appointed to salvation upon their faith in Christ, are brought into the experience of that salvation. They are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word sanctification here means setting apart 
from the rest of man. This is what the Holy Spirit does upon conversion. He causes the believer to become separate from the rest of men. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8 verse 9, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you cannot be a Christian without receiving the Holy Spirit. And you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you have repented of sin and believed in Christ. Acts 2 verse 38. So there is human responsibility to repent and believe. In other words, uh, you never tell someone just to sit down and wait to see whether they are one of the elect. No, they must repent and believe. Because God has taken the initiative to draw them. And Titus 2 verse 11, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So no one has an excuse for not repenting and believing in Christ. So no one can use the excuse, I'm not one of the elect. Because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now false religion says that there is a spark of the divine in every man. You've just got to find the God within you. And this is an aspect of Eastern mysticism and meditation. You look within. But the Bible says we are just mere flesh and blood, mere worms, no spiritual life at all until we receive the Holy Spirit. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He does not belong to God. All are devoid of the Holy Spirit until they repent of sin and come to faith in Christ. And that is why Jesus Christ declared, ye must be born again. Because what is it to be born again? It is to receive the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Acts 2 verse 38. And let us, as we read this verse, understand the importance of human responsibility without in any way taking away from God's initiative and sovereignty. Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we see clearly that reception of the Spirit is linked with repentance and faith in Christ. Now this takes us back to the principle of election to salvation being conditional. Because if a man has not repented and believed in the Son of God, he cannot receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters no one against his will. If a man has not repented and trusted in Christ, he cannot be set apart and sanctified as a true son of God. <clears throat> Let's see what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that ye were ye believed ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise some dear friends sometimes argue you have to be born again before you can repent and believe well that does not appear to be the scriptural order you see there's an external work of the holy spirit drawing a man to faith in christ but the internal work of the holy spirit the new birth only begins when there has been repentance and faith in the saviour now in ephesians 1 and verse 14 paul describes the holy spirit of promise as the earnest of our inheritance it's the earnest the seal the pledge of future glory So if we are true Christians, we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a foretaste of the glory which is to come. So Paul says, uh, Peter says in this second verse here, we are elect through sanctification of the Spirit, being set apart by the Holy Spirit. The world is divided into two categories of people. Those who are born again as they trust in Christ and those who are not born again. Peter is stating that a saved person has been sanctified, set apart, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within him. Now through the gospel, the Holy Spirit strives upon men's hearts externally, drawing them from outside of themselves, calling upon them to separate from this unbelieving world. Those who heed this call from God's initiative of grace are then made separate from the mass of men by the work of the Holy Spirit within them, causing them to be born again and to become conformed to Christ. The believer in Christ receives a new heart. He receives the Holy Spirit. Two ways of saying the same thing. And this new heart delights in the law of God. This inward reception of the Holy Spirit is what we call the new birth. Now, let us go and look at what the Lord Jesus himself says about the new birth. John 3, verse 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 5. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. To be born of water and of the spirit, two ways of saying the same thing, because the Holy Spirit's work is a cleansing work. And then John 3, verse 7. The Lord says, ye must be born again. This is what we have to tell the non-believer today, to challenge him to exercise his responsibility. The non-Christian, spiritually speaking, is stone dead. Without love for God, without love of holiness, without hope of eternal life. Incapable of doing anything pleasing to God. Remember that. 
The world puts a lot of emphasis upon its good works. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the situation of every non-believer. When a man, however, repents of sin and believes in Christ, he is raised up from his spiritual death into a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He now has within him great potential to be holy. And this is a further aspect of the Christian's special status. We have the potential to be holy. That's why we are exhorted in Scripture to pursue perfection. We do not achieve it this side of glory, but we must pursue it because we have the potential. And so Peter says in this second verse, we are elect through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. The Holy Spirit sets us apart from the rest of men for the purpose of obedience. Why are we saved? Yes, it is to escape condemnation, but that's not the only reason. We are saved in order to become holy people, in order to become like Christ. That's why we are saved. That we might obey God in all that we do. If men had not first disobeyed God, there would have been no need for salvation. So God's purpose and foreordination in calling men to believe in Christ is that they might be conformed to the image of his Son. This is, we have this in Romans 8. So God's eternal purpose is to create a holy people. We are meant to be like Christ, and Christ is without sin. So we receive the Holy Spirit in order to be holy, not in order to have amazing out-of-mind experiences. No, we, are, we receive the Holy Spirit in order to be holy. To bear Christ's image is part of our glorious status as believers. And we also read in this second verse, so much biblical truth in this second verse, we, we are elect unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Every believer is sprinkled by the blood of Christ. That is to be in covenant with him. Now, no one can be in covenant with God unless he first be washed through trusting in Christ's atoning death. God, in his grace, has ordained that all believers in his Son be sprinkled with his blood, and they are thus made clean. And this goes right back to Old Testament principles. Exodus 24, verse 7. Exodus 24, verse 7. We are told that Moses took the book of the covenant containing God's laws and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath spoken will we do and be obedient. Human responsibility. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant 
which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. The blood of the Old Testament sacrificial beasts was shed to denote the price required by God's justice upon sin. Those beasts in Old Testament times were slain in the Israelites' place, symbolically bearing their guilt. Their blood foreshadowed the true blood which the Son of God would shed to atone for the sins of the world. So what is Peter teaching us here in these opening two verses of this letter? He is teaching that the Christian is one who has been chosen to salvation according to God's foreordained purpose of saving those who repent of sin and believe in Christ. So in other words, it's not just divine sovereignty and it's not just human responsibility. It is both working together and God has all the glory. Now, we have also been taught that the Christian has been set apart through the new birth, through the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. We now have the potential to be holy people. What a privilege that is. And we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. We have been cleansed from all sin. We have been acquitted from all condemnation. We are bound for eternal glory. And God is the one who is responsible for it. He took the initiative. We responded. We exercised our God-enabled wills to respond. We exercised our human responsibility because that is part of the glory of being made in the image of God. And so there is a role for human responsibility. A man must respond to the gospel. In Luke 13, verse 3, the Lord said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That is a condition. That is a condition. Yet we also assert that no one can believe if God had not taken the initiative to draw. And so God receives all the glory for our salvation. And as we close, let us just remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, encapsulating what Peter is teaching here. Many are called, but few are chosen. Amen.